All right. Here we go. Quiet. Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Editor-in-Chief, Richard Dries. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor, Natasha Bogutsky. Thank you. How's it going, Natasha? I'm excited to review our film today. I'm excited, too. Um, I hadn't visited this with this film since literally since it came out i don't think really yeah i know and, it's been a while for me but and uh, it i have been that i have some reactions um but we'll get to that in a <laughs> moment um uh but i'm just glad we were able to find this film on streaming Unlike the other one that was in its uh, wheelhouse that I recommended we do that one as well. Yes. Okay. Um, in case you haven't read the title of the episode for some reason, look down at your MP3 player, your phone, what have you. We're going to be talking about the Robin Williams uh, classic, Dead Poet Society, as directed by Peter Weir. The perfect film to start off your autumn season and your back to school season. Yes, it's our back to school movie. It's our <laughs> retro review this week because nothing big really came out that we both wanted to see. I saw um, Beast, which is fantastic. You did not want to see Beast, and I completely understand because no one wants to watch a movie where uh, the possibility of a human being being lunch is... <laughs> No, you... That's one of my fears. My One of my fears is actually being eaten by an animal. <laughs> that I don't know why, it just is. <laughs> no, my thing was uh, when I was a kid, I saw a, a little known movie called The Ghost in the Darkness with Michael Douglas and Val Kilmer uh, about being on a lion hunt. And uh, I saw the trailer for Beast, and it was enough to make me have really bad, nightmarish flashbacks. Oh, wow. So I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm good. Thank you. I don't want to have to revisit mm -hmm. that sweaty mess. That's okay. But yeah, we were talking about what we wanted to do. We were talking about a back-to-school movie, and I did have to say, slight plug here, sorry. That, <laughs> that, here um, we go. <laughs> uh, on the other show that I do with... Uh, JW, called Generation Movies, which goes live on Facebook at 10 o'clock Wednesday nights, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, but we are off this week while JW is on a cruise. Um, we were uh, we're planning on doing uh, Grease 2 in a couple of weeks as our back-to-school movie. So I said, okay, what back-to-school movies do we want to do that aren't Grease 2? And we talked about Dead Poets Society. I brought up Dead Poets Society. We didn't talk about well, it. Well, you brought said, it up and then we talked about, about it. And then you said. Yes. Um, I, I'm in the minority here. Um, Dead Poets Society is considered like the greatest dark academia boarding boys school film of all time. Um, and I prefer The Emperor's Club with Kevin Klein, Emil Hirsch, and Paul Dano. Which I had not seen. Mm -hmm. So I promptly go to the internet, which gives us everything, right? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The movie's not available for streaming. Um, I'm glad I have a copy of it. Yes. It's a brilliant film. And I'm going to have to borrow that from you at some point. Because... Um, 
it's a Kevin Klein performance I have not seen, and I'm a Kevin Klein fan, so that's. And you're also an Emil Hirsch fan because of Speed Racer. Because of Speed Racer, yes. So, but very young Paul Dano, very mm. young. Well, we've got really young Josh Charles in this, which you know I'm watching <laughs> going baby Josh Charles years before Sports uh, Sports Night. A baby uh, Josh Charles before the Good Wife. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, we're seeing um, a lot of things kind of disappearing or being memory hold online recently in terms of films available through streaming, TV shows available through streaming. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is removing content from HBO Max, and a lot of people are upset. And I can't say as I blame them. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was checking the Leaving Soon uh, last night on HBO, and I noticed something very, very funky. All the Harry Potter movies are leaving at the end of the month. What the hell are they thinking? It's one of Warner Brothers' biggest money makers. It is. Um, however, there are certain factors that go into streaming. Um, where are these films, or is this content bringing in new subscribers? Is it keeping current subscribers? I mean, I understand that, but what Warner Brothers and them don't seem to understand is Harry Potter does its most amount of streaming views either when a new movie comes out or during the autumn because it's actually considered like an autumn film. Okay. I, I don't understand what they were thinking. It has the heart. It's great for kids. It's the boarding school factor. Like, it is considered a mm-hmm. for, like, fall and winter, one of those type of movies. Sure. It's even considered a Christmas movie to a certain extent. And it's possible that there's a longstanding uh, contract with another streamer that gets the Harry Potter movies for six months or a year <laughs> every now and then. It, it's just what it is. And that sucks. At some point, all of these contracts should expire and content should re uh, should be resting with whomever actually owns it. So Warner Brothers stuff is on HBO Max. Uh, Netflix stuff is with Netflix. Hulu stuff is with Hulu or Disney Plus. Or Disney stuff is with Hulu or Disney Plus. Um, the big thing, though, I think the bigger thing is <clears throat> when content is made and then not made available. I think the the big promise mm. they always talked about with streaming was. Everything will be available. All they have to do is slap it onto a server, and then you can get it, and you can access it. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Even more more recent stuff. And we're not just talking about Batgirl and what <laughs> indignity Warner Brothers did to that movie. We're talking about what happened on HBO Max with their original films, like the Seth Rogen film American Pickle. And I think we talked a little bit about this last time as well. Where these things are available, and then the company decides, well, they're not really bringing in people as much as we thought they would, so they become, I don't want to say a liability, but they're taken off, and then they become a tax write-off for the company. They're like, well, it didn't perform the way we thought it would, so we're going to make it not available and take a tax write-off on some of the cost of this. And you're seeing that again with a lot of um, animated product on HBO Max is disappearing. Yeah, I heard about that. Something about Looney Tunes? Not the Looney Tunes so much, but some of the other stuff like Infinity Train. Um, oh, gosh. It's it's a lot of kids stuff that obviously I hadn't really watched. But uh, just kind of judging on reactions on social media, it seems like a lot of parents <laughs> were uh, you know letting their kids watch. And... 
it's frustrating because, you know, the creators don't have actual physical copies of their work. They could always go to the service and watch it, or so they thought. Um, the There was a very heartbreaking tweet from one of the creators, one of the show creators, not just like an animator on there or something like that. The actual person who created the show who said, I created this show for my kids. I don't have copies of it. My kids can't watch this unless I resort to piracy. Oof. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have the Sesame Street spinoff, the not-too-late mm-hmm. show with Elmo, mm-hmm. um, some of the unspecified selection of Sesame Street specials, um, Summer Camp Island, yeah, an Infinity Train. Yeah, there's a few of them. There's yeah. a list of, like, 36 of them. They, they're not the biggest draws on the service, but people were watching them, and that means Discovery had to pay out residuals on that. On those views. Problem is, by Discovery taking off these shows from the service, they don't have to take, uh, they don't have to pay the residuals, which is good for them on their balance sheet. But those residuals were going into the animators union's health insurance fund. It was paying for their health care. It wasn't like they were getting a check every couple of months for 25 bucks that they went out and, you know, treated themselves to a big burger at Red Robin or anything like that. This is money that was going towards their health insurance. And a lot of people are very upset. It looks like a way of undercutting the union as well. Streaming services and how the residuals work is getting to be so freaking funky at this point. It's disgusting. Um, And recently, and, uh, Recently, there was an interview in which Sydney Sweeney, the um, one of the lead actresses on the TV show Euphoria mm-hmm. with HBO, was mentioning how, as a working actor, um, and it, of someone of her caliber, you see her and she is everywhere at this point. She's doing, you know, commercials and billboards and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. She has to kind of keep working. She doesn't come from a legacy family like the actress who played her sister, who is Maude Apatow, who comes kind of – I don't want to say she's a nepotism baby, but she's a nepotism baby. But she has that financial cushion. Yeah. That's another thing that's a big problem right now that they're talking about in Hollywood. Yes. And because of that, Sydney was just like, look, I'm – everyone knows who I am. My face is everywhere. I'm – I don't want to say I'm one of the uh, like like an absolute complete A lister. I'm up there. I'm getting there. But if I wanted to take off, say six months, because I have been working and working and working, I can't. Because HBO doesn't pay their actors what they used to, and because of streaming, there's no residuals. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's a mess. It really is a mess right now, and and people are bitching. Well. We don't get to take six months off our work. Yes, that is true. But for what she makes, when she she has to pay her publicist more than her mortgage costs on a $3 million house, I mean, you've got a bit of an issue with paying your people. I dare say most people aren't working jobs where they're working 12 hours a week, six days a week. Or or 12 hours a day, six days a week. Or more than that. Yeah. Because not only is she working for that, but I mean, then there's photo shoots, there's publicity tours, there's, you know, premieres, there's this and that. So sometimes it can end up being 16, 17 hours a day and you don't get a day off. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
you know, people think, you know, Hollywood's glamorous, but it's, it, it's there's moments of, of glamour, but there's also a lot of hard work that goes into it too. And, um, you know, and putting aside that's, and that's why, and that's sort of why people who come from a, a background where they have that financial stability to help safety net them are able to succeed more in Hollywood or are even able to break into the industry at all. If you wanted to work in an agency, you'd probably start off as an intern. You're not getting paid, but it's awfully expensive to live in Los Angeles. So what do you do? You work a, a 12-hour day job and then still have to find time to have another job to pay your actual living expenses? No. You have mommy and daddy cover your ass for a year or two <laughs> while you're doing that. And, and not everyone can afford to do that. No, there, exactly. There is definitely – you want to talk about a gap between like the lower class, the middle class, the upper class. Um, it's it, it's no different than when you're in Hollywood. If you are a actor who's trying to come out pretty much out of the middle class or whatever without a good support group, you'll never make it. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, it's because you don't have the t you don't have people to fall back on. You're constantly going to have to work because your projects only hold you over till your next gig. Mm -hmm. And at this point, like you have to be doing video content for for TikTok. You have to be doing, you know, ads. You have to be doing, you know, publicity shoots and and all kinds of stuff besides your main acting gig in order to even it, you've got you have to take on all those side gigs. Oh, exactly. And it's... It it's, gets your face out there, but it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think not just, not this so much, but the idea that streaming is not paying residuals or they're making deals that say, okay, since this movie isn't going theatrical, you can't get back-end points on the box office. We're just going to pay you off a certain amount. That's going to become more and more of an issue. And I think we're going to see in the next round of contracts for the uh, Screen Actors Guild, the Writers Guild, the Directors Guild, we're going to see a lot more of discussion about that. And I th hopefully we'll see some changes. When is that? Do you know? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> it feels like we just did a Writers Guild strike recently or a threatened uh, strike. Uh, there was a threatened strike. Yeah, about two years okay, ago. We but might there have was another two or three year wait then. Before another round of contract negotiations. So it could get really ugly before that happens. And that's not going to be good for the producers in the studio. Yeah, I'm not worried about the writers right now. I'm worried more about, uh, with all due respect, I know you're <laughs> big Jones in for the, uh, for the writers, Guild mm -hmm. of America. Um, but no, I'm worried more right now for the actors who are getting overworked and underpaid. True. But on that note, yes, <laughs> I don't know how to segue out of this. Yeah, we, there is there is no segue from this to our retro review of. Well, maybe Death those Note. actors could go ahead and try to, you know, teach English in a boarding school well, in the nineteen fifties. No, I was going to say, you know, grab the moment by the tits, seize the day, and get their money. There we go. Carpe <laughs> diem to the contract negotiators from the union. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the snort just came out. There was no stopping it. Yeah, trust me, there is never is with you. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be right back with our retro review of Dead Poet Society.
so rich. Yes. This is this film was absolutely delightful. It is. And simultaneously I found myself really aggravated and really? stressed with this. Well, let's start at the beginning. That whole opening sequence where they're in the school in the in the chapel and yeah, that whole nonsense. Excellence. They march in with banners. I'm like, this is like half a step away from a Leany Reifenstahl Nazi propaganda film. <laughs> and the fact that they're kind of doing it in a church or a chapel area too. I'm just like sitting there, maybe it's just a reflection of dealing with what we deal with, you know, in the times today, but I'm just like Holy crap, this is where white nationalist Christians start. You know, it it really icked me out. Uh, n- most films that I've seen that are kind of like a boarding school style vibe, whether it be for, you know, high school, like preparatory or college, um, like Wellesley in uh, Mona Lisa Smile. Okay. Uh, they all seem to have those pillars of values at the school in which they try to instill in the students because in truth, the students are away from home. So the parents aren't there to mold the kids. So they have to instill in these kids a sense of responsibility. True. And so doing that, I mean, I, it just made perfect sense to me. I mean, no, there, there's a reason for that. I think, these systems kind of became so inert and so in love with themselves that they kind of elevated themselves in their own mind to a point where we are better than thou. Mm. And that's kind of led to a lot of societal conditions today. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of icky just watching that. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, how many of these kids are going to wind up working in the Nixon administration in 15 years? <laughs> um, Definitely not Josh Charles. <laughs> nope. No, no. Uh, Pretty much at the end of the film, any person who was sitting down and not standing on the desk went on to the Nixon administration. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. And hopefully they all went to prison afterwards. Damn. Um, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but that's also the uh, the scene where we're introduced to Robin Williams as the new incoming teacher, Mr. Keating. Mm-hmm. And just, like, looking at everybody's, like, kind of, like, dead eyes. Like, all the other faculty, they're just like, Ugh. and there's something about them. And then, like, he kind of, like, pops out at that angle. And there's, like, this twinkle in his eye. And I just kind of like, I don't care if the character went to school here, you know, earlier. Just that expression on his face would not have gotten him hired at this institution because of their very closed-minded attitudes. I don't think they're closed-minded. I think they're cynical at this point. They're just worn down, just being there all the time with these kids. And, And... Mr. Keating is so much younger than the rest of them, which means that he hasn't had the opportunity to fully become as jaded as them at this point. Plus, he's been working over in England. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's even jaded so much. I think, I mean, the others aren't so jaded so much as they're kind of like calcified into um, these molds. and Because they're competing. Yes, and I'm kind of thinking about that Amadeus uh, line about 
they're so calcified they shit marble or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever that was. And I apologize. I know I screwed that that lineup from Amadeus. <laughs> Sorry, Tom Holchi, if you're listening. And um, but uh, no, um, they are competing for prestige. Still, at that time, I think there was a there was a level of we are an American institution that is still trying to compete with old world England with values and excellence. But that kind of evolved into an elitism. It I does. Think, I think which is ultimately But the fact that Robin fed into the parents. Oh yeah. And that's why we see what happens later on in the movie. Uh yes. Um and that's just besides the fact that um uh that father is a piece of shit. Oh yeah, definitely. He's an absolute psychotic piece of shit. <laughs> And uh, and we're gonna have a we're gonna have a discussion about that later. But considering that they are pretty much elitist ass fuckers, um, <laughs> wow! The fact that Robin Williams had been working at one of their competition across the pond gives them a, an extra level of name recognition. Of he's a former alum who went off to work at. Blah 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 blah. It's like it's like someone coming over to Yale and saying, "I worked at Cambridge or Oxford." Mm-hmm. Well, shit, you come for come work for us. Come work for us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, twinkle or not, that's what got his foot through the fucking door. True. Yeah, I hear it. Where did that come from? I don't know. It's it started. It's picking up something. It's picking up something that's happening in the in in the building. Um. It's so faint though that you couldn't tell until you lift it up. Yeah, but I I I raise all the uh, the levels with and level everything out with a level later later on. In the post-production process. So, um... More work was just made for you? Yeah, let me... Let me... I'm sorry. Let me take a second room tone so we can get rid of this as well. Okay, starting now. Okay, good. Okay. Um, <coughs> where were we? <laughs> what? Did you see this about Gary Busey? Yes. At Monster Mania? Yes. D- Z was telling me about that last uh, this past week. Yeah. Monster Mania just posted a thing. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um old world. Yes. But amongst all of that we have three boys. Three of the main boys. Yes. Played by very young Ethan Hawke, Josh Charles, and the always wonderful and should get more work, Robert Sean Leonard. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure why he isn't working more. <laughs> well, he was the lead on house for a very long time. Or, well, his best friend. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they are delightful here. They're wonderful. I think this is more their vehicle than the Robin Williams character's movie. No, I would agree with you. Any, any film we, where the teacher is there is usually there to inspire the students. The, I don't want to say they're a plot device, but they're a supporting character. We don't know much about Robin Williams' character outside of he he went to the school, he was teaching in London, and he has a um, a love back there. Yeah. That's it. We don't know anything else except, you know, he likes he likes poetry. And he, <laughs> he uh, likes them once poems. played f- uh, he once played soccer a very long time ago. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's just by dint of being in England for a certain amount of time, you wind up playing soccer. No, it's... when he was in high school, it was in the yearbook. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's, that's right. It was in the yearbook. Which is strange to me because it, it always feels to me like soccer didn't become big and exciting in the U.S. until like the 70s. So that people were still playing it here in the U.S. back in the 40s kind of strikes me as odd. But – as you said, the whole inferiority complex about British uh, private education mm-hmm. makes me think that maybe they were doing it to kind of emulate that. Possibly. But no, I just uh, – I really did enjoy this film. It, I laughed a lot more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> and you know when Robin Williams broke into his uh, – just his straight impersonations of John Wayne and Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. Those kids were just having a blast that day. You could see it in their face. Yeah, my they big, weren't acting. <laughs> my biggest thing about this film is I'm as I'm watching it was like, man, Peter Weir really probably had to like ratchet Robin Williams back at points, or they had long discussions, or you know maybe Robin Williams came in and was like, okay, I know exactly what I want here with this character, and he doesn't do his over the exuberant yes and things like that where you know. You, you can see it, like, peeking around the edges every now and then. It's a, He does, like, a little hand gesture, like a point or something like that. Yeah. And this is why we need to be a video podcast <laughs> for, with, for the, uh, the hand motion you just did. And, and that you can see, but he definitely kind of keeps himself pulled in. Yeah, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that about him. Um, there was one scene in particular that... I actually had to rewind after watching it and rewatch it again because mm-hmm. it is just so brilliantly done is when Ethan Hawkes says to him that he didn't do his assignment and didn't write the poem. And he brings him up on on the stage in front of the class and points to a picture of Walt Whitman and then covers his eyes and starts mm-hmm. spinning him around. It's like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, a sweaty tooth mammoth. Yes. Okay. Sweaty tooth mammoth. Tell me about the sweaty tooth mammoth. And he just kind of goes off on this thing, but the blanket, a blanket, a heavy blanket that you never, you know, covers our heads and never keeps us warm. Yeah. Um, until the, from the moment you enter crying to the moment you leave dying and I was just like, it's just such a beautifully shot scene. And it has mm-hmm. so much energy to it. Yeah. In this movie, there's a couple of times. I mean, this is like they're going in a circle and Peter Weir is like going the opposite direction that they're moving with the camera. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it creates a lot of visual energy. And he likes doing circles in this movie because the one shot that kind of 
caught my eye is when they're in one of the dorm rooms and they're like grabbing the poem out of the, the one kid's hands and they're jumping around on the beds and they're going <laughs> in a circle and the camera keeps following them in a circle and goes about three or four times around, stops on the door for a moment as somebody comes in and then picks right back up again. And I'm just sitting there thinking, good Lord, how do they do that? Because I'm thinking it had to have been Steadicam because there's no way they could have like actually set up a cam on a, you know, a camera on a tripod that low. Um you know, probably a hi hat or something that low, looking up, and then only having like a grip in there, turning it with the thing. You know, no one was. You know, I don't know how they did it, but it had to have been a real pain in the ass. <laughs> but but, but it's but it's great, yeah. But it adds so much to that scene. You're in that room with them. You're just watching them. Your head's whipping around, following the action. And I think that's what's really great about that is this movie really kind of gets you into these kids lives through this semester at the and, school. And yeah, to show the kind of energy that these kids have that whilst at this school where they're supposed to be grounded, they're supposed to be forgive me for saying they've got a stick they're trying to instill sticks up their ass so hard that mm -hmm. they'll never be able to turn their head left or right. But here you can see when they're alone, boys the boys are boys. They're full of energy. They're full of life and passion and, and it's genius. And the camera yeah. work that goes into it to kind of make you feel that. And Robin Williams' character of the teacher, Mr. Keating, understands that. He's not so old. He's not so far removed from that experience mm -hmm. as you know all his contemporaries are. Uh, at the school so he knows how to tap into that to give them a love of poetry not just i mean it right in the front of the movie you know they're the first thing they do is they're reading that what the headmaster calls brilliant essay <laughs> uh, that reduces poems down to a fucking graph a mathematical graph yeah and a science yeah it's a science and you can't do that that's why science is science and art is art and they sometimes overlap a little bit in terms of technique, but in terms of impact of art, you can't graph that. No. It, it's it, it's it, supposed to be about a feeling. Yeah. And so obviously he's right. Rip that shit out of the book and throw it away. <laughs> um, I love how Josh Charles is the first one to do it. It's just, this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mr. Overstreet. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. My favorite part was uh, when he's trying to teach them about conformity. In the mm -hmm. courtyard. Speaking of going in circles. Yes. <laughs> Again, circles. But they all end up with their first with their own strides. And then they all seem to kind of fall in line mm -hmm. with each other until they're walking in sync. And he goes, from right now, I just want you all to find your own way of walking. You're not performing. Just find something. I don't care if it's silly, angry, whatever it is. Just do it. And uh, and then he looks over at Knox Overstreet and goes, well, what are you doing, Mr. Overstreet? He goes, exercising my right not to walk. And he's like, yeah, that's the, you got my point. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm surprised he just didn't go, OK, you pass. <laughs> You're done. For, you, you don't even need to do anything else for the rest of the semester. And, and when he explains that, though, to the headmaster later what was going on, that's when the headmaster knows this man is a danger to us. He's a danger to the upper class. Because he wants uh, them all the same, yeah. And these children uh, that are of the upper class, because if he starts teaching them 
empathy and thinking for themselves and expressing themselves and not conforming and not being the same, you know, little fascist little business people and doctors and lawyers that we want to churn out. They're hearing the drop of the guillotine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he becomes a danger and that's ultimately why they wind up, you know, just totally railroading him at the end, which just fucking frustrates me when I see that. I'm like, man, just tell those old assholes they're a bunch of cunts and punch them in the face and then walk out. That's that's (laughs) the ending I want and that's the ending we don't get and that's frustrating to me. But I understand why, because this is supposed to be ultimately a cautionary tale about our educational system. <laughs> yeah. It's also a film about bad parenting. But Yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, Speaking of, hmm? you want to get into that part now? Okay, yes. Because sure. I, I have a feeling you have thoughts on that. Oh, I do. Then, uh, by all means, <laughs> please. First of all, I love Kurtwood Smith. Anything he is in is automatically better because of his mere presence. And I'm talking like from RoboCop to that 70s show. Everything he's in is like, he's just so fucking phenomenal as an actor. I would agree. He's but an he's amazing, an asshole here. He, oh, he absolutely <laughs> is. And my question to you about that is, does his character, after this movie ends, does his character ever have one iota moment of reflection where he comes to a realization that he is responsible here no okay what do you think happens to him then i think forever he blames mr keating he blames the school and he blames um neil's friends okay i have a feeling that uh he's probably already borderline drinking his wife becomes a raging alcoholic and probably kills herself oh. in an auto accident. <laughs> and yeah, I, I he, he feel goes... like the wife is already halfway there to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's trapped in a loveless marriage. Uh, she, she's in a gilded cage. Yeah. Um, but it's a cage with no love. And I feel like he probably dies bitter and alone. Even if he has uh, brothers or sisters or siblings and they have children, no one visits him. And he just dies alone and bitter. And never realizing that um, because he couldn't love his child enough to allow his child to be who they thought they wanted to be, to explore those possibilities in their life, that that's what drove them to uh, kill themselves. And that is the real tragedy, though, of this movie, even perhaps more so than the frustration of the calcification of the, (laughs) uh, the staff at the school. Um, now you were about to say, yeah, I don't think any of the parents in this film would ever take responsibility for their own actions. Uh, they don't believe in regret. They don't believe in being wrong because of course we are the upper class. We are always right. We are white. We are always right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on. I mean, yeah, this is but a very pale school. It's the fifties. Bo- exactly. Yeah. But this is also why. This movie kind of can only, I think, can only best be told in the era it is. Oh, yeah. Most of these, most of the films like this are definitely told Mm -hmm. from that perspective of it has to be done via a time period. Um, Because if you try to do it now, it's just not going to fly. Well, in the mid-50s, we have the baby boomer generation hitting their teen years. Mm -hmm. We have rock and roll coming in. Yeah. We have kids having disposable income 
starting for the first time, really. And they're starting to understand that they can do their own thing. They have their own choices ahead of them. They can live their own lives, not what is predetermined for them. And, I mean, that's a big thing that happens. That's a big societal shift in the 50s into the 60s. 60s and that's definitely. what leads to the hippie movement and uh, summer of 68, all of that. So I think this movie is kind of like teetering just on the edge of that about to happen. Because you get where they have the the bootleg radio where they can listen to rock and roll <laughs> music. Yeah. That's not a radio, is it? No, it's a science experiment. Radar. Radar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even that they want to control what the kids listen to for music kind of says something, too. That uh, they want to keep those traditions. They don't want anything new to seep in because new is scary and it's change and it's scary and a change could mean we could lose our privileged status. So yeah. That's what this ultimately, ultimately what this school is always all about. Can you imagine if those kids discovered Elvis? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few of them who are already listening to Elvis on the sly. Oh yeah, definitely. But, uh, no, um, one one of my favorite little moments, and this goes to show you just how all the parents are kind of alike in a way, even if we don't see them, is when Ethan Hawke gets his birthday present, and it's that uh, stationary desk set, mm -hmm. and there he's like, yeah, they gave me the same thing last year. Yeah, that's how uninvolved these parents are. Yeah, ultimately, they don't emotionally. Know, they don't know their kids or at all. Yeah. And uh, and so he's like, you know, Robert Sean Leonard picks up and goes, this is this thing is very aerodynamic, isn't it? It just <laughs> wants to fly the first unmanned flying desk set and they toss it just right off the uh, the turret and they're laughing and goes, don't worry, you'll get another one next year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. It's, it's a great moment, but it's funny. But yeah, it does kind of cut to a deeper truth that. These kids really aren't loved. No. And that's another tragedy in this movie. Um, let me ask you this. Yes. Kind of out of the blue here. Uh, which Robin Williams character is the better teacher? Here or Goodwill Hunting? Uh, he's not really a teacher in Goodwill Hunting. He's a therapist. Oh, shoot. That's right. Never mind. We're going to cut that. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Or, or, no. But, okay. Keep okay. it. Okay. And the reason why I want you to keep it is even though he won his Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, it depends on what you're trying to talk about. Here, he's trying to instill a love of art and of emotion of history, of love, and, and to kind of teach these kids to care. Mm -hmm. But he's trying to do it as a group, which he succeeds. But I think Goodwill Hunting is a little more intimate. And it's more about getting this one person to, to understand their value mm -hmm. in life. Not so much instill anything. But get them to see themselves f for how they should be seen. And uh, and to know that you are enough. Mm -hmm. I have to go with Goodwill Hunting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, 
I will admit, though, last night I posted on Facebook that I was watching <laughs> Dead Poet Society, and in the comment section, I, I wrote and I tagged one of my old English teachers in there, and I went, uh, Lady Kish, you are absolutely the teacher I would have stood on my desk for proudly. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, the, uh, that was going to be my next question. Do you think things have changed in education or not? or do, Or is it... That's a case by case basis. Case by case, yeah. Because I, you know, I went to Catholic high school, and if something had happened similarly, and they started like grilling kids, and then saying, "Okay, we have determined what the truth of the matter is, and your opinion actually doesn't matter, so just sign this thing attesting to it," I could really see that happening at my at my Catholic high school. There were a couple of teachers that definitely had that jadedness. Uh, when I went to school, a couple were in the math department. There was one in the English department, um, one in the science department. Most of them were in the math department, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not me being biased because I'm definitely more of an English arts kind of person. Mm -hmm. But um, no, they that's just how they were. Um Funny enough, all the good ones, though, were in the English department. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there, English and history, actually. Because, you know, there were still some teachers who were there to not just wrote ram knowledge into our noggins. They were there to, you know, inspire us as well. Um, my one teacher, Hank Moriarty, who passed away within the last couple of years, was a great teacher. He was my current events teacher uh, senior year. And I really liked his class. Um, Even my law teacher was actually <laughs> a good one. <laughs> we had we had rotating uh, uh, band directors for all four years. I had four different band directors in my uh, in my uh, in the music department at my high school, and two of them were really good. And that's why they had to go. Um, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why, and that's not for me to say in public. Ooh. Yeah. Um, let's just say one of them began dating um, a senior girl about 14 minutes after graduation. <laughs> yeah, it was a little... <laughs> so... I don't know. I think this is more of a case-by-case -case basis, mm -hmm. I, I think. I mean, I... Just knowing the conversations I've had with your husband about his teaching, uh, I know he is there to inspire and not just wrote teach things. I know I have friends in both high school and college level who are there to inspire kids. And sometimes they have to butt up against uh, department people. heads, yeah. things like that, who are just like entrenched in protocol entrenched in tradition entrrenched in I don't want to do anything that's going to uh, upset the status, status quo because the status quo is really good for me things like that and those are all my heroes all my friends including your husband who oh. do this kind of stuff I'm just like I could never do it because I would be like <laughs> yelling obscenities at my boss <laughs> which I you already I, do. <laughs> I have to. I know. I know the urge. I have to fight down now about a job I don't care about, about a day job I don't care about. From you know, just popping off at my boss. If it was a job that I actually felt care for, I felt impassioned about, 
and I had to do that all the time? Nah, forget it. See, and that's what frustrates me with this movie because of the, you know, Robin Williams kind of doesn't stand up for himself. He just kind of goes with it. Or we, if he does try to stand up for himself in front of these people, we don't see it. And again, it's not his story. It's the kid's story and, and how they react to him as a teacher. But I think the audience needs, I, needs a scene for, of Robin Williams, you know, fighting for himself. Because otherwise, it just seems like he just meekly takes it. I'm okay with him meekly taking it. Because I, in my head, it's more of a case of, well, why should I fight to stay when I could go somewhere where I could actually do some good? He's probably going back to London in his love. I hope. Probably, I really yeah. hope. Yeah. And I hope that he somehow stays in contact with these kids uh, through, you know, through letters and such. And, you know, maybe, you know, twice, three times a year, he hears from each of them and gets to know how they're doing. And he can sit there and continue to encourage them. Um, he can sit there and go, at least there, I did some good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he knows the impact. I mean, he kind of knows the impact at the end. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yes. I love the idea of that. Mm -hmm. The symbolism that by standing on their desks, it doesn't mean it, it is a both a salute to mm -hmm. the person who did it, all this for them, but it's also a way of saying we haven't forgotten. We will see things from a different perspective. Exactly, and I also like that um, the headmaster. At some point, just stops yelling at them to stand, stop standing on their desk. I'd like to think he had an aneurysm and was lying, dying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't like Dr. Nolan either. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing, though, was kind of hit me hard, actually, when I was rewatching this uh, yesterday. And that's the knowledge that... Sadly, tragically, Robin Williams took his own life. And, um, you know, and watching this movie, I mean, obviously, this movie isn't advocating suicide, for goodness sake. Uh, but just no. it's just a, uh, a parallel there um, where he felt he couldn't go on anymore. And, he, you know, he was dealing with a lot of depression issues, a lot of things like that. And we can't know what he was going through in those last moments that drove him to that, um, that didn't where he couldn't find the strength to walk away from that. And it's, it's rough because, you know, there's a, I don't know if it's a dark irony that person who could, could bring the most amount of joy into this world. The person who was, who played a character who inspired kids to really live their life full of joy and and find uh was, find their happiness like that was could, fighting his own yeah, sorrow yeah it, especially you know in this film it's it's kind of oh it, the, the, it's and i don't want to end this <laughs> discussion on on a down uh, honest but it's, with, we can't ignore that now watching this movie from this point of view no and obviously when i sat in the theater whenever this came out originally at the gateway yeah. <laughs> um there was you know, there's no conception that something like that could have ever happened to him. And then I know with me, 
Robert Sean Leonard killing himself was not... That didn't get me so much as the scene right before where he opens up the windows and puts on his puck crown, Mm -hmm. knowing that it is the last time he will ever, ever get to Mm -hmm. be himself. Yeah. Because if a boarding school wasn't going to beat him into conformity, the military was. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Also, why I could never have been in the military. Um, um, me either. <laughs> yeah. We would have been the real misfits in basic training. I think we talked about this before mm-hmm. off mic. We've had discussions. <laughs> yeah. From the fact that we're just not mourning people to... <laughs> uh, why are we going to go on a hike? We're just going to go in a big circle. That seems pointless. I'll just wait here for you. See you in 20 hours when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Um... I'm getting I'm getting better about the morning person stuff. Yes, I have noticed. Uh, you, <laughs> when we talk in the morning on the phone, there you are usually um, more awake and more ready for work than you normally are, than you have been in the past. And we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to like drag you about this or anything. <laughs> Wait, is that a good thing or a bad it's thing? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're being adults. Boo. Um, oh, fuck that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I think Dead Poet Society, let's circle back to where we should be here. Um, this holds up extraordinarily well, I think. It does. And I think most of those films like that tend to. Mm-hmm. I know that you mentioned that uh, this would make a great triple feature with Emperor's Club and Goodbye Mr. Chips. Mm-hmm. And I would even go as far as to say, you know what? We need some women in here. Throw Mona Lisa Smile into the okay. uh, into the mix. It, it, Mona Lisa Smile is also set in the 50s, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even maybe more so than... Um, with college girls. Yeah. And, and just for fun to cap off our day-long marathon of back-to-school... Uh, uh, coming of age stories. Yeah, let's throw in for fun. Rodney Dangerfield's back to school. I've not. I've never even heard of that. Oh, let alone not oh. seen it. I've never even heard of it. Oh, you're in for a treat. Uh, Whenever I'm, I freaking get to it. I know. I know. But we'll we'll have to get that to you to you soon. All right. <laughs> and I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Exactly. Remember, you can find us online. Can you take it from that so I can drop in a um another plug for generation no, movies? No, no. Oh. Uh that currently oh. Dead Poet Society is available on okay. Amazon Prime. Well, and on that note, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Yes. And uh if you haven't watched uh, Dead Poet Society in a while, it is available to stream for free if you have an Amazon Prime subscription. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a positive review, because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next time with more news and reviews. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Zombie.